Good morning, church family. How you guys doing? Doing all right? All right. Uh, if we haven't met yet, my name is Nick Mastrud, uh, one of the pastors here. Really excited to be sharing from God's Word. If you have your scripture, um, I hope you do. Uh, if you don't, there's one in the pew rack in front of you. Please pull that out and turn to um, Philippians chapter 2. There's a floating Bible behind me if you didn't bring it. Um, here's what it says. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, your word is living and active, and it has the ability to transform our lives, even, even today, uh, as we make ourselves available. I just pray that your spirit would be prompting us. I pray there would be no hint of guilt or shame in this room today, but it would be, con- uh, it would be um, just conviction, God. I just pray that, that your spirit would, would draw us into a life that, that is, that is um, focused on others in a life that is completely surrendered to you. And uh, God, just I just pray that you would help the words that I speak today just be nothing but what you want communicated. Open our ears to what you want. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen. In the year 1840, um, Hawaii was introduced to the devastating disease of leprosy. Um, if you don't know, leprosy is an extremely contagious disease, and it causes like the deterioration of your skin and your eyes and your limbs. And people who contracted this disease at this time had absolutely no hope for recovery. Like once you contracted this disease, it was only a matter of time before you were disfigured and immobile. This disease started to spread in Hawaii, and those who suffered from this um, were isolated from their families and known as the untouchables and the outcasts of society. Um, In the year 1866, so 26 years later, in order to curb the spread of the disease, Hawaiian authorities decided to isolate the leper community to the island of Molokai. Some of you may know this. Youth students, I think you may have heard this. Once the lepers were out of sight and no longer a threat to the general population, the government turned a blind eye to their basic needs. Shipments of food and supplies started to slow down, and this hopeless community quickly became even more so dysfunctional and marked by poverty and violence. And out of love and compassion these, for these people, a young missionary stepped up to care for them. Father Damien, he, he moved to the island and cared for the needs of these lepers. Out of love and compassion, he was compelled to respond. He looks pretty rad too. Um, for 16 years, Father Damien lived in the midst of those lepers at that time. He, he learned to speak their language. He bandaged their wounds. He embraced the bodies that no one else would dare to touch. He preached to their hearts that were absent of hope. He organized schools and bands and choirs. He built homes so that they had a place to live. He built over 2,000 coffins so that those who passed would die with dignity. Rumor has it that, that a group of tourists, they wanted to see, um, they wanted to sail in front of it and see, like, let's get a glimpse of the devastation. And you know what they found? Cliff jumping, laughing, playing, having the time of their lives. 
Slowly, it was said that Molokai had become a place to live rather than a place to die. Damien's sacrificial love offered hope. That's what sacrifice does. Because Damien wanted the colony to experience this tangible love, um, the, and, and he wanted to be fully present with them, he was not careful about keeping his distance. Like, he did nothing to separate himself from these people. He ate meals with them. He bandaged their wounds. He drew near. He got close to them. And for this, they felt loved. They felt seen. They felt cared for in a time of sadness and desperation. And then one day, Damien stood up, and he began his story with these two words. We lepers. Now he wasn't just helping them. Now he had become one of them. From that day forward, he wasn't just on their island. He was in their skin. First, he had chosen to live as they lived. Now he would die as they died. Now they were in this together. Friends, this is a gospel story. Jesus coming near to the sick outcasts to rescue them, even dying for them. The radical love and sacrifice of Damien transformed the lives of thousands and thousands of people and gave them hope when it seemed that there was no hope to be had. This is how Jesus defined great love, John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I love how the message translation puts it. It says this, this is the very best way to love. Put your life on the line for your friends. Isn't that so good? Put your life on the line for your friends. You are my friends when you do the things that I command you. Father Damien's story is one of great sacrifice. Jesus's story is one of great sacrifice. Friends, our story, Cedar Mill Bible Church's story, us at individuals following Jesus, we have an invitation today into radical sacrifice. I don't know why I got chosen for this topic, but um, my goal today isn't to convince you to to move to a disease-ridden island and die there, although it may take you there. My goal for today is for us as a community to get a clear picture of something that Jesus really cares about. That's our sermon series, the things that Jesus cares about. What does Jesus care about? In a time and in a culture where we, we, everybody has an opinion on what should matter most. Let's look at what Jesus cares about. My goal for today is that we would have an encounter with the living God. Like right here in this room, this could be the day where we encounter God in such a way that, that we walk out of those doors and, and our lives are completely different because we're living these sacrificial lives. So this is the topic right here. In a time of selfishness, Jesus cares about radical sacrifice. In order for us to speak further about sacrifice, I think we need to name the ache or the disease or the, or the selfishness, if you will, of the culture in which we live. Um, Second Timothy actually states it clearly, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Youth on the front, underline that. Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Generally speaking, our culture is built around comfort at all costs. Anybody like to be comfortable? 
man, I love comfort. Like I go way out of my way to make sure I'm comfortable, right? Sometimes I'm like, how am I going to read this Bible if I don't have coffee next to me? You know what I mean? Like we want comfort. Um, We'll do anything to dodge inconvenience or discomfort. The largest industry in America is entertainment. And studies have shown that like the, the Western world is on trajectory of entertaining themselves to death. And I, I think that's true. Like we are known for being one of the most overindulgent countries in the world. We're one of the most medicated countries in the world, not for medical purposes, but looking for an escape from the, the realities of now, the discomfort of now. If your family has an income of $10,000 a year, you are wealthier than 84% of the world. $10,000 a year. So get, get this. If your family's income is $50,000 or more a year, you make more than 99% of the world. Like, if you have a cell phone, anybody have a cell phone? Okay, a couple people. You're probably familiar with what's called the, the selfie, right? Even the language of the selfie is, the, is like this focus bent inward, this directional, like Facebook, Instagram, if we're honest, it's become like this self-shrine. Like, look at me, look at my people, look at the life that I've built. Come, come check out what I'm all about, you know? A phrase on social media these days talks about how we should be the main character in this life. Any of the youth talk about, talk about this at all? Maybe not. Maybe that was like a couple years back, but it's like, I, I'm the main character of this life. I actually have an example here to give you a little glimpse of what we're dealing with. You have to start romanticizing your life. You have to start thinking of yourself as the main character. Because if you don't, life will continue to pass you by. And all the little things that make it so beautiful will continue to go unnoticed. So take a second. If you didn't hear that, you have to start romanticizing your life. You have to start thinking of yourself as the main character. Friends, this is not the way of Jesus. And this is kind of seeping into the mentality of the church. Like, let's be honest, you don't have to raise your hand. But I wonder how many of us walked in this room this morning um, with our own interests in mind. Like, man, I hope they sing the songs I like, <laughs> right? There better be a, a hymn in that set list or there better be something more upbeat. There better be no drums. I better get the seat that I want. Like if I have to walk up front, that's going to be so cringy. I hope the sermon is just like I like it, and I hope Nick's not preaching, and it better not, better not be too long. At the center of the American culture is this focus bent inward. Can we all agree with that? Have I built that case enough? Okay. Jeff Cook communicates it well. He says this, the more I make my life, my well-being, my enlightenment, and my success primary, the further I step from reality. Obsession with self is the defining mark of a decaying soul. In a time, in a culture, in a temperature of selfishness, Jesus cares about sacrifice. In a culture bent towards ease and leisure and apathy and escape, in a culture that avoids pain and embraces comfort for me at all costs, Jesus cares and invites us into a lifestyle of radical sacrifice, of putting our lives on the line, a life that points beyond itself, doing the right thing, which is usually the hard thing, in order for the world to look more like heaven every day. Like may our suffering actually result in people finding hope and freedom and purpose and redemption. That's the life we're invited into. Moody has this famous line that goes like this. I thought when I became a Christian, I had nothing to do, but just to lay my oars in the bottom of the boat and float along. But I soon found that I would have to go against the current. 
If we do not intentionally go against the current of selfishness, we will look no different from the world around us other than what we do on Sunday mornings. And that is not, that is not enough. And let me make it clear out of the gate. You do not have to sacrifice to earn God's favor. Like Jesus sacrificed his life. But when we truly pursue Jesus, it's only natural that our lives will start taking the shape of a cross. It's, that's just what happens. A natural byproduct of abiding in Jesus is that we start looking like Jesus. This is why mom is always concerned about who you're hanging out with because you start looking like those people. Keep company with Jesus and you'll start looking like him. Keep company with him and it will rub off on you. We indeed are called to live the cruciform, cross-shaped, sacrificial life. What did Jesus have to say about this? Matthew 16, 24 through 26. Whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to follow me, what must they do? They must deny themselves. Your will be done, not mine. Deny themselves, take up their own cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. That's some sacrificial language. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? I love the way the message puts it. Then Jesus went to work on his disciples. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat, I am. Don't run from suffering, embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Underline that, right? Self-help is no help at all in the biggest section in every one of our bookstores, self-help. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way to finding yourself, your true self. What kind of deal is it to get everything you want but lose yourself? What Jesus is getting at here is that our lives are no longer our own. Like we exist for the purposes of God's kingdom. And, and Christian maturity doesn't look like doing more and more really cool religious things. It doesn't look like packing out our calendar with doing all these cool religious looking things. It, Christian maturity looks like Jesus having unhindered sway over our lives. I think that Willard coined that, unhindered sway over our lives. We, we are interruptible because Jesus is the one saying, go here, oh, Jesus, I saw Jesus caring for people that were poor in this way. You do that, unhindered sway. You see Jesus doing that, boom, what are you doing? You're doing what you see Jesus doing. We want to be a church who is increasingly governed, governed by and ruled by the leadership of Christ, becoming like Jesus and, and making him known. And, and if Jesus cared about living sacrificially, so will we. That's what this series is about. Like if Jesus was interruptible enough to care for the hurting, so will we. If Jesus cared for the societal outcast, then so will we. If Jesus prayed for his enemies, I hate to say it, but so will I. Like if Jesus was faithful to the father through hardship, then, then we will do the same. And I love how the apostle Paul, he clearly understood this as he wrote to the, the church in, in Philippi. He said, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Who says that? becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Wow, Paul was all in. He was all in. Jesus is famous for saying that he only does what he sees the Father doing. And quite literally, Paul is saying, I only do what I see Jesus doing. Um, old school author, uh, Irma Bombeck famously says this, when I stand before God at the end of my life, I would hope that I would have not a single bit of talent left and I could say, I used everything you gave me. 
I used everything you gave me. Jesus, I don't have anything to offer you because I have nothing left. Like, I wonder if we've somehow convinced ourselves that sacrificial living is for the fanatics or, or like the, the professional Christians or like Pastor Dave. I wonder if we think this invitation is optional and just for a select few people, my prayer today is that we would join Jesus in both his suffering and his resurrection his suffering and his resurrection. Like we would do the hard things for his glory now, right? And then we would live redeemed lives now and for eternity. My prayer is that we would live lives that only make sense if God is real and Jesus is alive. That's a big claim. Like what if it was like, dude, Tony, man, your life doesn't make sense. Like if God isn't who he says he is and Jesus hasn't raised from the grave, your life makes zero sense, bro. (laughs) Like that's what we want, right? Romans 12 Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. It doesn't get more sacrificial in the language there. (laughs) Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world of selfishness, right? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Once again, I'm going to do the message just because I'm on a kick here, but... Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. What a vision. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Don't be so well-adjusted to our culture that you fit in without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. I want that on my tombstone. He readily recognized what God wanted and he quickly responded. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. We are living sacrifices, meaning we wake up like our very lives are to be set onto the altar of every single morning. Like we wake up, here I am, God. <laughs> we roll out of bed and we crawl onto the altar. We get out of bed. Here is my offering. You get it all. I wake up. I crawl onto the altar. May I burn for you today, Jesus. May I be a living sacrifice for you today. May this offering of my life be pleasing to you because it's yours. I think one of the best explanations of sacrificial living is found in 2 Timothy. Listen to what it says. As Paul is writing to um, young Timothy, he says, join with me in suffering like a good good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete, any athletes in the house, they do, uh, does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The, the hardworking farmer, got any farmers up in the house? I know we got a few. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. So there's some great images here. There's three characters. Let's talk about them real quick. A soldier. God needs, like we're, we're called, soldiers are sacrificial, man. Like I love how John Tyson put it in a message recently. He said, if you live like a civilian in a war zone, you will become a casualty. If you live like a civilian in a war zone, you will become a casualty. In other words, to be a soldier means you sacrifice or you give up the life of a civilian. Like you don't live like other people live. We are focused and we are committed to the mission of Christ. 
We don't get wrapped up in lesser things. We don't get entangled with time-wasting nonsense of our culture. Like our free time isn't consumed by what the culture says is appropriate. Does that make sense? We, we, we live to a higher standard because we're on a mission, man. We're, we're soldiers. In the screw tape letters um, written by C.S. Lewis, there's this fascinating story about the, the devil named Screwtape, and he's training another novice devil named Wormwood. It's pretty crazy, but um, he, he's telling him how to keep people from the enemy, which is God in this case. Listen to how he says it. The only thing that matters... So he's, he's trained, the devil's training another devil. The only thing that matters is how much you separate the man from the enemy or from God. Murder is no greater than cards if cards can do the trick. The safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Friends, let's refuse to entertain ourselves to death like the Western world is designing us to do. Stay on mission, live with intentionality. Second, the athlete. Athletes strictly discipline themselves. There's no way around that. They say no to, to millions of things. Okay, millions maybe. Thousands of things. Athletes are always saying no. They say no to certain foods. They say no to, to sleep. They wake up early, right? They say no when their body is sore and they're cramping. They're like, no. Like, you just keep going, right? To maybe have a chance to win. Maybe to have a chance to win. And what do you win? You win a trophy that collects dust, the rest of its life, and it's not even that big of a deal, right? We're training like an athlete to win a race, friends. We're running this, this race of faith. And friends, what athletes do when no one is watching determines how they perform on game day, right? No one go- shows up to game day and goes, well, y'all know a story. Luke may do this, but ran a marathon with no training. It's pretty impressive. I guess he can do that, but we don't do that. L- let me put it this way. If there is no preparation in the secret place, there will be no success in the public place. If there is no preparation in the secret place, just between you and the Lord behind closed doors, there will be no success in the public place. Jesus often withdrew from the public space to receive power in the private place. Like the, the, sex, the success of an athlete is often developed when no one else is watching. Like that's where sacrificial training happens. And let me remind you, we live for an audience of one. Like we train for an audience of one. If you are not an athlete in this race, what are you? Spectator. And let me just say, Jesus' church does not consist of spectators. They are disciplined athletes. Discipline yourself with all of your might with the call that God has on your life. Get the power you need behind closed doors between you and the Lord. Be vulnerable in the presence of God. Compete. Receive the crown of righteousness that will never fade away. A farmer. Farming is one of the most laborious things possible. Just by raise of hand, any farmers in the house? Okay, okay, okay. A couple. It took them a while to like raise their hand because they're so tired. (laughs) They're like, you know, they're sore from doing what farmers do. It's, it's sacrificial living. It's backbreaking work. It relies on a source outside of itself, right? You have to have a lot of faith, like the weather conditions, like it takes patience, like I've never even understood in my life, like, all right, it better start growing, right? Farmers do the hard work of sowing seeds into the lives of, of others. Galatians 6, whoever so- sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. 
Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we, if we do not give up. Friends, do not give up. Like a farmer getting his crop, like do the hard laborious work of going in the direction of God. May we be people of sacrifice like that of a farmer, doing the hard work of ministry so that we might reap the, the fruits and the benefits of that. So there you have it, the, the, the three characters of great sacrifice. But I want to remind you that one of the purposes of this teaching series is that we would care about what Jesus cares about, and then we would actually go and live that out into this world, like living actually like Jesus. So what does Jesus care about? Okay, now I'm gonna go live like Jesus, caring about the things that he cares about. And so it's kind of a season of evangelism um, as a church, which is simply drawing others to the Lord. So the Great Commission, um, some of Jesus's last words, I think last words are special, right? I I remember the last words that I heard from my grandfather and uh, Jesus has last words and they're very important. And this is what they... This is how it goes just before he peaced out and he'll be back. But he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In other words, I'm a pretty big deal. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. But it's okay because I'm gonna be with you the whole time. I'll be with you. Like, this sounds like a sacrificial calling, right? This sounds like I'm gonna have to rearrange some things in my life because honestly, that's not my, um, like the vision that I have for my life all the times. Like, this is our calling. If you wanna know, I hear all the time, well, I just am trying to discern God's will for my life. Well, bam, there's God's will for your life. Like Jesus wants to reach the world through you, through his church. His outreach strategy, as crazy as it sounds, is you and he never had a plan B. He doesn't have a plan B. It's like people will come to know the Lord through his church and and creation, of course, and so many, like, you're plan A and there is no plan B. And I think if you get nothing out of it, out of this today, John Stott has probably one of the the best explanations of this that I really want to share with you. He says it like this, God intends us to pierce the world. Christian salt has no business to remain snugly in elegant church salt cellars. Our place is to be rubbed into the secular community as salt is rubbed into meat to stop it from going bad. And when society does go bad, we Christians tend to throw up our hands in in pious horror and criticize the non-Christian world. Look at them, right? But should we not rather criticize ourselves? One can hardly blame unsalted meat for going bad. I cannot, it, it cannot do anything else. The real question to ask is this, where is the salt? Where's the salt? Friends, today, my hopes are that this would be a pivotal moment for us as a church when we take on even more so this lifestyle of sacrifice in a time of selfishness. Like when we live sacrificially, it stands out like crazy in our culture. Like has anybody helped you recently? It's like, whoa, people aren't normally like that, right? The world in which we live is desperate for a sacrificial church. The world that we live in is desperate for a sacrificial church, a church that will do anything short of sin for people to know and experience Jesus. The salt is in this room. That's what I wanna say. The salt is in this room and we're about to go into the secular society to live this out. The salt is in this room. May we take the words of Jesus seriously. May we, may we like take on the living, breathing words of scripture and, and may we be the people of great sacrifice in a time of selfishness. I can't help but think of, of people in this church who have modeled sacrificial living and it has inspired me. Does anybody know people of great sacrifice in this church? 
man, that's been such a testimony to me and a, and a story for me. Like I, I was just kind of talking through this with some people in the office and tons of names. People were just shouting out names of, of great sacrifice. We were like, dude, you know who's a guy of great sacrifice? Barry Dixon, right? And then they were like, oh yeah, I mean, don't forget Tom and Karen Stevens and Esther Stone and Stan and Jill McAllister and, and Carrie and Tom Rydman and, and Lou Hawley. Like we were just spouting out people. Um, I just recently heard of, uh, I was asking, what'd you guys do for spring break? And there's this, this family in our church. Um, I, won't, I won't call them out right now, but, but uh, they spent the entire spring break building houses. And I was like, oh, but you, I'm sure you, like, you had fun and like, went to like, Disneyland or something before or after. They're like, no, no, we just, like, we just felt like we needed to do this to serve the community. I'm like, that is amazing. Like, there are people of great sacrifice. Like, keep fighting that good fight. Keep crawling onto the altar of worship and let's do this together, family. Let's do this together. Are you in on it? All right, let's do this. If you would, would you stand with me and I'm just gonna pray over you and we're gonna respond in worship. I recently heard, um, I think it was John Tyson. He, he was saying, evangelicals, they often end their sermons by saying amen. And he goes, Pentecostals end their services by saying, come Holy Spirit. We're gonna get a little Pentecostal in here by just saying, like, come Holy Spirit. Like your words, your words are clear. Like come and do a work within us as we respond in worship. So Jesus, we make ourselves available to you I just pray that even now as we're processing your words and, and thinking about great sacrifice, I pray that you would give these minds in this room creative ways, creative ways to live sacrificially, creative ways to put their life on the line for, for those that you've put in their, in their path. God, we want to be a church in this city um, who stands out because we are so focused on other people. And God, we get, we get vision of sacrificial living by looking at the cross, by seeing you, Jesus, be the one who has sacrificed much for us. So as we look at that cross, as we think of your sacrifice, God, we, we just say, may it, may it be so with us. May we carry our cross as well, Jesus. You're, you, you, every, our lives are yours and everything in it. We give it to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and respond in worship. Amen.